we are so excited that we have Sasha Robertson here with us and she is going to share her whole story um, about uh, just domestic adoption as well as both male and female infertility and she has a lot to share with us so we're so excited that you're here Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. This is thrilling. I've been on a lot of adoption-based podcasts or people who've asked me to share about adoption, but not much about infertility, which I think yeah. is a very huge topic that really needs to be talked about more. I think it's growing more and more common. And so I so appreciate what you guys are doing and I'm honored to be here. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I'm excited just even going through, I know it's different adoptions, but us going through embryo adoption and then just hearing your side of adoption as well, I think is um, just going to be really enlightening and I'm going to learn a lot. So I'm really excited. So with that being said, if you want to kind of kick it off and share kind of the big, starting from the beginning, kind of just tell us your journey and how it led to you where you're at right now. Oh man, I should ask for a time limit before I, know, right? I feel like this could be like a week's worth of episodes. Um, so for myself, like I always knew since I was little that I wanted to adopt, but, um, like didn't know when it was never really like pressing, but ever since I was young, I knew I wanted to, because I was raised in a home, um, an environment community that had a lot of trauma and a lot of neglect. And I just have a heart for like, I don't want children to have to be like this. My mom was always taking in her friend's kids when they were in really tough situations. And so I had that example set for me as well of just like loving other people's children really well. I love that. Um, but it, it didn't come up for a while. Uh, and then my husband, like he would joke because I was like, I'm never having kids. I watched my aunt go into labor and delivery when I was 10 years old. And I was like super like, scarred I'm by it. Surprised. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm never having kids. And then my husband and I got married and like instantly I wanted a family. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted kids and was like begging, begging, begging him for kids for a while. And we were married. I want to say maybe like two years, two and a half years. Um, we, he was an active duty in the air force at the time we were living overseas and he deployed wow. for six months. And before he left, he flew out on my birthday, which was like still to this day record worst birthday ever to oh, have your no. husband deploy for yeah. six months. Um, but before he left, he told me that when he gets back, he thinks he's ready to start a family. And so it was like, yes, finally yes. that six I months. I like you like a countdown. Yes. Yes. I was like off birth control. I was doing everything to get myself healthy, started collecting baby stuff, you know, from friends, hand-me-downs, yeah. garage sale shopping. Cause it was all summer. Um, and then he came back from deployment and we started trying for a family and it was a year later, like nothing. I just remember this roller coaster up and down of that year of like, every time, you know, I go into the bathroom and have my cycle again, it's just like, man, what is wrong with me? Like, why isn't this working? Um, and my husband being active duty at the time, they wanted to test the mail first. It's quick. It's easy. It's not invasive, usually a simple answer. So they started testing him and they called him back and said, um, yeah, your vasectomy took. And he's like, my what? And they're like, oh, wait, um, sorry, you need to come in for a follow-up. And wait, he's what? like, <laughs> um, okay. Oh yeah. my God. That is like the scariest phone call. And yeah. oh my gosh, I cannot even, oh my gosh. Okay. Continue. Sorry. That's crazy. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and so he went in for a follow-up. Um, they ran all the same tests again and then, um, sent stuff off to the lab. And it was, it was just this pretty lengthy process, probably six months to a year of then going through and doing all this different testing and whatever else for him. Wait, and I it, to interrupt you there because we haven't really talked much about the male side. We haven't really had any guests that, um, have had like the male infertility. So, cause normally what we've just kind of seen this thus far of, you know, you just quickly have a semen analysis, they give you your results. If everything's good, you know, you just keep moving on and it's mostly the females. So what other like testing are they doing on him? Are they just doing more samples or blood work? Or if you could just kind of go over that a little bit. Yeah. So they first did a second sample okay. and, and typically they just do like, you know, they count how many are living and swimming essentially. Yeah. yeah. And his count was so low. I think his first one was like 500. Wow. And any, like an, an average healthy male has between 40 and 60 I want to say 
million. I, I was almost going to say billion, but I think it's million. Yeah. Anything under 15 million is infertility range. Wow. And he had 500. <laughs> yeah. They're like, there's basically nothing. Why they were like, oh, your vasectomy worked. Yes. Oh my God. Very well. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> so, um, so they went in and had him do another test. Same thing. Very, very low numbers. Um, they had him go in and I think do another sample. And then that one was sent off to like a very high tech lab who did all this additional testing. Um, they did blood work as well. And it was through all of that. It came back. He actually has, it's called a chromosomal micro deletion, huh. which is, in his Y chromosome, one of the lines is missing one of the sections and it's called AZF-C. He's missing the C portion of that line in his Y chromosome. Mm -hmm. And so they said it's either genetic, it was passed down by his father and he's a miracle, wow. <laughs> or it happens like, you know, when you're, when the egg and the sperm come together and they're figuring out which DNA are we going to like toss, which of yeah. your moms are we going to keep, which of your dads. Um, and it was just something that happened like in the cellular development at that time. But if we were ever to, to naturally conceive or with intervention conceive a male child, he would have this because every Y chromosome in my husband's body is missing that line. Oh um, goodness. So it just, it brings up so much questions. And, and this was 13 years ago now, 12 oh, wow. years ago. Wow. And so there was like next to no information about this out there. Yeah. And the military was like, yeah, we don't touch infertility with like a 10 foot pole. They're like, we'll give you a referral. So we were super excited about this referral. We got a referral to Cambridge university because we were living in England at the time. And we're like, we're going to the big dog. Yeah, right? like, we're going to have the best of the best. And, yeah. and so it was like 90 days out, we had to wait to get an appointment. And so just this very lengthy process and we get there and we find out our, our appointments, not anything to do with infertility. It's like a chromosome specialist. So she's there to give us chromosomal counseling to tell us and teach us about the chromosomes and like what this means and, and all these other things. And it's like, okay, so what do we do for infertility? Yeah, and like she's like, yeah, we don't do that. So not only you waited the three months to get this appointment, then you get there and it's not what you expected. Oh yes. my goodness, Sasha. Yeah. It was so depressing. <laughs> so we left the doctor's office, super depressed. We went and like binged on a bunch of sushi and went shopping in Cambridge and like blew $500, spoiled our dog that day. Cause we came Aww. home with like blankets and toys and all the stuff for her. Like she was our, your baby, our, yep. Yeah, our baby, our comfort, our, yeah. our safety net at the time, yeah. I guess you could say. So yeah, it was it, even still, there's limited information. There's more information about this chromosomal micro deletion. So I will say the fortunate part is if you have A, you have nothing. If you have B, you have nothing. Some of them like shoot blanks mm -hmm. for lack of like better terminology, like yeah, yeah. nothing even comes out. Um, but the C portion for my husband, like he at least still has living swimmers, which for the last decade has given me a lot of hope. Absolutely. Um, uh, kind of unnecessarily so, but we can get into that more, uh, later possibly. But, um, so yeah, so he's like, we're, we're more, more likely to be like struck by lightning or win the lottery that we never play than to ever have this go anywhere. <laughs> and so I've always had like very heavy flow, like um, blood clots, severe cramping from a very young age. I've been in the emergency room because I like was curled up on the ball in such severe pain, like hyperventilating, bawling my eyes out, like could hardly speak pale. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I've always had problems just recently found a, um, functional medicine practitioner. Yeah. And so she's dug into a lot of stuff. I've done like month long hormone tests and all these other things. Um, taking my temperature, every morning for like over a year straight, which pretty sure anyone with infertility is familiar with. Oh yeah. Um, and I have, um, severe hormonal issues, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disorder. Um, and then I also have luteal phase defect, which is where like the second half of my cycle, like my first half is totally fine. The second half, like from the time I ovulate to when I have my period is super short. Like I don't have enough, um, progesterone, 
progesterone nor estrogen. Um, and, and the ratios to them are wrong. And she was explaining all this, how your hormones are supposed to be this like symphony, you know, doing this dance all together. One thing triggers another and, and mine are just out of whack. And we've done all kinds of natural supplements and diet changes and, um, seed cycling and like through blood work or how did they figure that out? Yeah. So it was blood work. And then also these, um, I, so I did this month long hormone test where, it was every day to every other day, depending on the day I would spit, you know, almost like the DNA tests where you like, you know, ancestry, you spit in the tube. So it was like one of those, I couldn't eat, but you know, within certain hours or drink anything. And so every day or every other day for a month straight spitting in these tubes. And so that they tested my hormone levels of like everything, every single day. And then I did other ones that were like three day ones, um, that I had to like spit in a tube. I've done urine samples and then lots of blood work where it's like, they're taking, you know, almost like if you were to go donate blood, <laughs> like that much blood out of me worth of blood work. And, and it, over a year and a half, we just discovered, you know, all of this along with the temperature tracking and everything like that. It's like my cycles were just abnormally short, but they were able to confirm like with temperature spikes and hormones and all these other things. Like she said, usually with people with luteal phase defect, they don't even ovulate and they don't have regular cycles. So I'm, she said it was really fun because she loved to learn and like dig in and try and solve problems. And I was just like this fun project for her. Yeah. So it's weird because most of my life, other than severe cramping and, and, you know, stuff like that, it was perceived. Everything was normal, but over time, she's like, I'm not even sure that you're ovulating, like your body's acting like it is, but I don't know if it actually is. And, and so we've tried a lot of stuff there, natural supplements. Um, I take progesterone the second half of the month, um, and different things like that. But it got to the point with her. She's like, honestly, not even counting your husband's stuff. Like, I don't think this is going to work for you without intervention. So we were referred to IUI, um, to go see someone there so they could give my body the hormones to tell it what to do when it was supposed to do it and everything like that. Because my cycle was just, my luteal phase defect was not going away. My cycle was not extending. Um, and so we went to IUI and then that's where like the real, like hope kind of was lost in that, um, we can't do IUI because of my husband's chromosomal micro deletion. Not only does he have a very low count of like living and swimming, even if they were to take a sample, um, something that comes along with that is like the, the sperm is almost like deformed, I guess you could say it's not like tragically so, but it's like, I've watched this documentary once about the way that sperm works and how like, there's just so many pieces and pieces and pieces. And like, once it gets to one point in the conception process, pieces fall off and then the next piece, you know, pieces fall off. And so there's actually like the shell coating around it that when it penetrates the egg, it pushes itself outside of that coating. And so the coating stays on the outside of the egg, but yeah. the, the next part of the sperm okay. goes in. Yeah. So that's what my husband's doctor, um, his urologist confirmed is that like his sperm will not penetrate the egg. It's not possible to do naturally. Yep. Okay. Which makes sense. And after the year of trying and not getting a positive pregnancy test, how interesting. Okay. And then this was, you said this was, he got his diagnosis 13 years ago from now, 2012. Okay. Yeah. And so did you guys do how long? So after that, you know, year, and then once you got his diagnosis and then from there to IUIs, how long were you guys, was that like months later or? No, like a decade. Oh, oh okay. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. So what did you guys just stop trying completely or what happened? Yeah. For a while. Like, and so this is like you're talking about, there's not been a lot of conversation, conversation about male factor infertility. And so like my husband, like he had a lot of processing and coping to do with that. Like he went through this process in this period where like he, he like 
I wouldn't say he tried to divorce me, but he like gave me like full permission. Like you can leave, like you have this desire and I cannot fulfill it. Like I'm basically worthless. He's like, at least I know I don't have any kids running around, you know, oh. <laughs> like, you know, earlier in his life. And such an important thing to just like briefly touch on too, on both sides, both male and female, like you desperately want this and being the partner that say has the diagnosis and can't, you know, give that to your spouse. I feel like we, I mean, I know I did. My husband came back perfectly fine and his, all his tests were normal. And I was the one with the diagnosis. And I know I went through that and I was like, I'm so sorry that I can't give you what you desire. So, I mean, I feel Mm -hmm. like that's so important that like, we just touch on even just for a second, the, the mental health aspect of it. And just like being able to process that and giving your spouse grace too. Like, of course you didn't want to leave him, you know, yes. and, and you're not blaming him, but it's something I think you guys had to work. I'm, I'm sure as a couple to just kind of to process and work through together. Yeah. And it, it was quite a process. I think initially both of us were like, you know, we kind of had this mentality, well, screw it. Like we can't have kids. Like let's just live our lives for ourselves. And so we were still in England at the time and we just took full advantage of like Europe being right next door. We traveled everywhere. (laughs) Yes. We traveled everywhere. Um, we bought whatever we wanted. We spoiled the heck out of our dog. Um, and you know, we had friendships. We, we just lived life how we wanted to really, we didn't have any strings attached. And, and so of course I like I would, I wouldn't say immediately, maybe it was like a year or so was bringing up adoption. Like, well, I've always wanted to adopt anyway. And I even found this like a uh, bucket list that I wrote out when I was like 17 years old on a lined piece of paper in my journal. Um, and I had just that piece of paper floating around and I was like, look, it's something I've wanted, you know, for long before I met you, like this is an option. And he's like, no, I, I don't want to adopt. Like if I can't have kids, I'm not going to be taking care of somebody else's and And so it was, it was just a lot of grieving. Um, and I don't want to say that it caused a void between us. Like I definitely wanted to stay with him. It was just when I, when I was like, okay, what's next? I'm a natural problem solver. I'm very resourceful. Like how can we get to yes? Um, we talked about it in IVF. My husband was like, I'm not, I wouldn't go put $50,000 down on black on the roulette table. Why am I going to do it here? Um, and, and because the military was so resistant to helping and we were overseas and like with a healthcare system that we didn't like have access to, unless they granted it, like we were just stuck in kind of a pickle. Um, and so for the rest of our time overseas until 2014, it was limited of what we really could do. So I went to an adoption, um, seminar that was held through the base and different things like that. But a lot of it was about international adoption. And my husband was like 100% not on board at that time. So I just went and got the information and learned and shared a little bit with him, but just tucked that away, you know, way in my, in my back pocket for the future. Um, and then fast forward, um, 2014, we moved back to the United States. We were still living life, you know, on our own terms, how we wanted. And it was a very, very dark and trying season for us. He was working out of town. We were trying to sell our house that renters trashed and like family stressors, work stress, all these crazy things. I actually, at that time had this PTSD relapse into my childhood. Like it was a crazy, crazy dark season. Um, but then that, that winter of 2014 into 2015 was one of the most depressing times of my life. Like, and I don't want to say like, like, it's not on account of infertility, but it was definitely like part of it where it was just like, we can't even have kids. Like I'm never going to have a family, you know, just like kept, kept coming up in my mind. And so it was actually through that time that I, I started reading scripture and going to church and, um, just plugging into my local community. And, and my husband came along, right? Like right alongside me. And, um, and we became believers through that process, but then even still like navigating that of like children are a blessing from the Lord and, um, and all kinds of things like that in scripture, like this was all new to me. And I'm like, I went even deeper into depression a little bit in terms of of infertility is like, well, what does that mean for me? Like he doesn't love me. Why can't I have that blessing? And oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was a ton to like process through in terms of that as well. Um, and then, you know, I, I kept bringing up adoption periodically, uh, throughout that time. And like, I wasn't nagging. 
there were times where I was like, I just want to be a mom. Like everybody I know is a mom. And so we were in this really weird season at our church. Like we were the only couple young couple there, like married, no kids. Mm. And then another couple was there, no kids. And it was like within a month, they're like, we're having a baby. Like, ah, you know, we just found our people. We love them to death. We are still like besties with them, meet with them once a week. Like they're just our favorite. They have four kids now. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But, um, but we were just kind of really alone in that. And another couple at our church had adopted and we had families from our church that had adopted through foster care and, and all different kinds of stuff. So I just started asking questions and everyone that I would talk to that like, oh yeah, we're thinking about adoption was like, oh, I'd love, I'd love to know. I like, I would hope to adopt one day. I'd love to have more information. And so I was like, there's no point in me getting all this information just for myself. Mm-hmm. Let me get it and share it. And so I reached out to a local Um, Center for Resource Families to OCS here locally, reached out to some of the families in our church that have adopted before. And I hosted um, a foster care and adoption forum at our church. It was open to the public. So there was like tea party lunchtime, all the resource centers were there. Um, And so it started out with just like a little bit of education and information and went into the forum where different families sat on the panel and we just kind of asked like briefly tell us about your adoption experience like you know what method did you choose to adopt because some did foster some domestic some international um there were no embryo adoptions which is like this that whole arena is new to me oh yeah um but uh it was through that forum that my husband like probably six months after that was like okay I think I'm ready to put in the application I love that. To adopt. And, and it was like, that's, that's such even like a testimony to just to God's faithfulness of like you, he's put that on your heart since, I mean, like you said, a kid. So yeah. I feel like it's such, I mean, wow. Just to see that, you know, through the years, just staying consistent on your heart and then it, having that forum and seeing people in your church that have done it. And then for your husband to be a part of it. And then six months later, be like, okay, I think I'm ready. Like that is yeah. so, that's so cool. Yeah. And I just, I, I waited, like we would have conversations about it and yeah, I'm not going to lie. There were some nights I would cry that like, just why can't I be a mom? Like, will I ever be a mom? I'm never going to be, a mom, you know, and just like sharing my heart with him, but not like I would, I didn't nag. I didn't beg. Like he knew my heart and this was what I wanted, but it was not something that was like a burning desire for him. And I even prayed, Lord, take this desire from me. Like, why do I still have this? You know? Um, but it was through all that time. Like we were very much like IVF is not for us. Um, my husband, I think even still today sometimes is like going through that grieving process still. Um, and that he knows, like, I want to be a mom and I want multiple children Mm -hmm. and, and adoption's not easy, like by, for anybody, you know, on any side of the triad, but, um, it's not an easy process. And we're actually in the process a second time right now, which again, has not been easy. Thank you. Um, but, but yeah, so he even said the other day, he's like, he would never be a dad if it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I was kind of like offended by that at first. And I'm like, I didn't force you into this. Like I asked you multiple times and I waited and he's like, it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> like, he's like, am I not a great dad? And, and he is, he's, he's amazing. So, um, yeah. So if I could give any sense of encouragement, like if, if you are a believer, like, like cling to God and just pray and be patient and like, he will work and he will move and he will make it happen. And the story that he's written for our family is more beautiful than I could have ever imagined um, already. And I'm excited to see what, what the future holds as well. But throughout all of that time, like natural, we were given such low odds, like Mm -hmm. It, w- it was worthless to even try. And there was so little information about his stuff. And we hadn't even gone in. Actually, it was 2014. I was diagnosed with like pre-diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, but the doctor wanted to put me on these like drugs that they give um, men when they have prostate cancer oh, and all these like five other things to combat, combat this temporary menopause that they were going to put me in. 
just to give me the endoscopic whatever surgery to confirm that I had endometriosis. And I'm like, um, no, thank you. <laughs> That's a no. Oh, yeah. So crazy how much I feel like science just to say change as well as social media too. Like now I feel like so many people are more, I mean, hence like our podcast, even on both of us talking about adoption and infertility and all of these things. There's so many more resources now. So, I mean, that's, gosh, that's crazy. Cause now I think they, they'll just do the surgery. They don't, they won't do all those things. I don't think I yeah. mean, I've never had endometriosis, but oh my God. Yeah. So even then I went to a natural doctor who gave me supplements and um, diet changes and things like that. And, and it worked. I was like, I didn't have blood clots and cramps and all these other things for a good period of time. But it was just like, I had gone to malt and then I went to a different doctor and she's like, no, you don't. This is all totally normal. And so it's like, it was so confusing for me as a young woman, like to even my husband, he went in, it was like, you know, a series of tests diagnosis for me, it was like all this up and down. And so it was only, I want to say two years ago, maybe that I found out about all these hormonal issues, Hashimoto's and luteal phase defect, like over a decade of infertility and, you know, women's health problems and an autoimmune diagnosis. Do they believe that there's any of the autoimmune that has to do with possibly your side of the infertility as well, or they think it's more of the hormone changes? Have they, I'm just curious because I have an autoimmune disease. So I was diagnosed with lupus um, almost, wow, you know, like almost four years ago. Um, and so they, they said that science is, what they told me is that science isn't there just yet to be able to 100% tell me that the autoimmune can be affecting my like unexplained infertility. So I didn't know mm. if there was anything they said with you. Yeah. So, um, I don't know specifically about lupus, but with, um, with the thyroid, with Hashimoto's, um, your thyroid controls a lot of your hormones. So like it, it sends those signals, you know, to and from your pituitary gland and all this other stuff. Um, cause it's, it's, and it's part of your endo endocrine system. I think that's what it's called. And so it does have a controlling aspect on a lot of your hormones. Um, and so I know women who do have like, um, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, Hashimoto, stuff like that. It's very important to include a thyroid specialist in all of your, um, like your, who you're working with, with your midwife or your OBGYN and stuff like that, because your thyroid levels need to maintain like within healthy range throughout the duration of your pregnancy. Otherwise it can cause like severe complications and even like affect birth development and stuff like that. And so, um, it definitely has an an impact and an effect on my hormones, but then my hormones, like, you know, are just all over the place. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so So it's kind of like this lingering effect in string. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. In such a long journey. That is, wow. I did not realize over a decade of going through infertility and now just to get, I mean, the two years that's recent to get a two more diagnosis too. Goodness gracious. That is a lot. And then so adoption obviously plays a role. So you said that you, your husband, then six months after this, you guys were at the church. He was like, let's do it. So then yep. can you talk us a little bit about the, the adoption process you went through? Yeah, that was a whole nother journey. <laughs> so, so we're like, okay, yeah. I reached out to one of the ladies who was there at the adoption forum. Um, she was the director of the infant adoption program through Catholic Social Services that worked here locally. And um, I was like, okay, we're ready to put in our application. Can you direct us to whatever resources that we need? And she said, oh, actually we've shut down the program because they had a whole bunch of families on their waiting list that had been there for like two years and just adoption in the state was really slow. Um, more frequently children were being born and then placed into foster care and like state custody versus women choosing adoption. Um, and so they're like, we're not accepting any new families. And then shortly after that, they had to shut down their program. And I was like, what? So that was like super depressing. It's like, okay, he's finally ready. Let's go. And then they're shut down. Oh my goodness. So I started, did you want, 
at this time, were you like, I want a baby? Were you open to at any ages or did you want like a baby? A baby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, we had like taken in our nieces for a period of time and really we had lost our dog, um, in 2017. And I think it was that after like losing her, it was just like, wow, she's been like our, our, our fur baby. Like we've poured all of our love into her and it was really devastating. It was very tragic, very quick. Um, I was actually on a mission trip in the Czech Republic. She had been having issues for about six months of just like random stuff, but nothing like extremely serious. But all throughout that time, the vet was trying to find a diagnosis. And, and it was like someone else at the vet was like, I can't believe you missed this. Because what happened was she had a pituitary brain tumor. And so she just like digressed really fast. And so I was on a mission trip in the Czech Republic for almost a month. And I came home and she was not my dog. And within 36 hours, like we had to, to put her down because she was like getting lost, like just standing behind the vacuum and was just like spinning in circles. Couldn't, couldn't sleep, couldn't get comfortable wetting herself all the time. Like it was very so devastating. Yeah. Sorry. It was so sad. Um, but then we, like my husband's like talking about getting another dog. And I was like, we have all of this love to give. We have all of this home. We have all of these like gifts that we can share. Like, can we adopt a human? before we do another dog, you know? So it was just like planting that seed. So that was probably like maybe a year, you know, before we actually went forward with this adoption stuff. And, um, and so after I found out that this agency was like shut down, they were the only one in our state and like, we're in Alaska. So like, we're on the other side of Canada, right? (laughs) Like That was the only one in the state. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we were forced to like look nationwide. Um, I definitely wanted a baby because I wanted that whole experience. Like I love babies. I've always loved babies. Um, and we didn't want, like, we just felt like we had so much, like we were pouring ourselves out and then they were gone pouring ourselves out and then they were gone. And we just felt like we had already had like so much loss that we weren't ready to go into foster care with the idea of reunification. Um, embryo adoption, like wasn't even talked about really. I I mean, I didn't know anything about it. It was obviously a thing then, but, um, and then we knew we didn't want to do international because it was just a whole nother like ballpark there. Jump through too. I'm sure. Yeah. So we started researching agencies and, and stuff um, nationwide. And like, I feel like every agency that we came across was like red flags. I had this spreadsheet in like Google sheets where it was just like, you know, all these highlighted colors and just trying to fill in all this information and doing all this research. And it was so overwhelming. And then I came across this consultancy and, um, there were one of the other families in our church that had adopted before. And I was like talking to her. She's like, Oh, how's the adoption process going? Because she had adopted one of her children through Catholic social services that was shut down. Um, and she's like, Oh, I think so-and-so adopted through them. And so she referred me to a different family in our church that I didn't even know had adopted through them. Um, and they had mostly good things to say. And this consultancy was like, you know, we'll hold your hand every step of the way and, you know, we'll be there for you. And this, we work with multiple agencies. So, and like they're, it, they were very faith-based and their slogan was catchy. And like, they really seemed like they loved people well. And so we, we learned a lot throughout that process. Um, I would never recommend anybody work with a consultancy, um, in the future. And this is like, from my personal experience, as well as the stories of like tons of people that I've talked to and, um, and heard their stories and their testimonies and, and primarily because they're unregulated where, um, licensed child placing agencies with each state have an, a board that oversees their actions and their behaviors. They have licensing requirements. They have regulations to abide by. Whereas like consultants and facilitators and stuff like that are, are third party, like completely detached. Yeah. There's no oversight. There's no licensing. It's, it's kind of like a free for all. Um, and so we had worked with this agency and 
And this is like, I guess, another testimony of God's faithfulness is when we went and we're like, okay, we're going to adopt the average price is like Mm $40,000. And we're like, we don't have $40,000. And so we set our budget with the agency, I think at 40, 45 was like the window or with the consultancy. And then like, we weren't seeing very many cases come through. Um, And part of it was because of our budget. And so we had grown our budget even more. And so I had a friend that I was like kind of freaking out and I'm like, how are we even going to afford this? And we were doing fundraising and taking all the overtime possible and, and finding other ways, like taking photos of friends because I had taken a photography class and um, making burritos and selling them at church in the morning and doing t-shirts and partnering with all these other companies and um, everything that we could do to bring in extra money. We actually listed our house on Airbnb and moved out for the summer (laughs) for the Alaska tourist season. Yeah. And, and so my friend, she had said, you know, people want to come alongside you. And that was like a foreign concept to me that people want to like contribute and help and, and support this. And, and she was so right. Like there were people who gave generously people who paid way too much for burritos and, um, way too much for photos and things like that, just to, just to be a support and an encouragement to us, which was amazing. And it really taught us a lot about like just having an open hand kind Mm -hmm. of lifestyle, you know, receiving and giving and, And I remember one time we received a check just like randomly from some people and we just like, we're like, okay. And then we just like turned it over to the church and just like tithe that back out because it was, we were just blown away by how much people were, were loving and supporting us. Um, and then of course, like, I feel like that came back in tenfold. Um, and so, and then there's the grant, you know, agencies, uh, and we didn't get any grants throughout our process, but we did, we were approved for interest-free adoption loans, which was a super huge blessing um, for us because throughout our adoption journey, we did experience two disruptions. We were matched with one mom um, and had built relationship with her for like three months, video chats and all kinds of stuff and video chats, even with her older kids. And um, it was so crazy because one day I had a conversation with her and she was like, this is amazing. Like God's been working in both of us, like to bring us to this point and was telling us we don't need to get an Airbnb or a hotel when we come down, um, for, for labor and delivery and everything, we can stay with her and all this other stuff. And then 36 hours later, she canceled our video chat and was like something about us pressuring her. And we're like, no, we're not here to pressure you. Like, she's like, if you, if you feel that way or something like go, just go find a different family. And we're like, what is going on? And so I reached out to the agency. I reached out to the consultancy. Like, do you guys have more information? Because you know, completely changed. Yeah. Day and a half ago, everything was fine. And now it's like canceling our calls, telling us to find a different family, whatever else. And the agency was like, oh, well, let's schedule a call for Monday and we'll chat with you. And we're like, okay, you know, we just thought we were going to jump on a call and they were going to, you know, bring us some peace and settle us, settle our hearts. You know, they had talked to us like, so we sent the money, we signed the contract and instantly I get a phone call from the social worker that mom has a very bad temper. She gets very angry um, at the agency a lot and tries to like force them to pay for things that are outside of the scope. And like, all this other stuff. And so it was just like, that would have been nice to know, like in the contract and like in the information that you gave us about her, not after you receive a check. Um, and so we just thought it was like one of those moments she was having a a bout of anger and we jump on the call on Monday and the agency's like, it's done. And we're like, what's done. What do you mean? It's done. They're like, yeah, she called us Saturday and wanted to look at other families. And we told her in order for us to show her other profiles, she is done with you guys. Like she can't just check and see if the grass is greener and then come back. And, um, and so they, she was adamant and they showed her other profiles. And so we're done. There's like, there's no repairing this there. Like we were just basically kicked out of the picture and we were like, uh, what, so what does this look like in the future? Like how much money are we out? And, will that and so then go towards like another family or like, will you still stay? I know Kat has kind of like processed this and talked about it. Um, just like adoption in general, obviously my side of adoption is very different. And so are you guys then like still with the clinic and just can like get more cases. And so you don't have to like repay the 40,000 or anything again. Right. Yeah. So we were, um, kind of locked in to that agency because none of like, they weren't going to refund us anything. 
all of their agency fees were like their money and all the obviously expenses. Like I think Florida is one of those States, like nothing is considered coercion. You can give the mom, whatever you want. You can buy her a house if you want, and it's not considered coercion. So all the money that we spent on her, you know, living expenses, housing, clothes, food, insurance, cell phone, internet, et cetera, was, it was spent, it was gone. So they said, if she picks another family and places her child with them, then they would, they would get those funds from the family who took, you know, the child home. Got it. Okay. But if she didn't choose another family and she didn't place, then we're out that money. There's nothing that they can do. And then the agency fees that we paid to them were non-refundable and we signed that in the contract. So, but it's crazy, you know, they approach you with, okay, you have this mom, she's chosen you. Here's what you need to do. And within 72 hours, sign this contract, send it to us, send us a check for $25,000 and then we'll give you her phone number. And so it's just like, oh my gosh, I've been chosen. I'm going to be a mom. Like what? You know? And and it's like, they prey on people's emotions, like in the moment, both the, the expectant mother and the hopeful adoptive family. And so we just signed, you know, not, not realizing anything. Um, and so we were still with that agency. They're like, oh yeah, you're on our stork drop list. So baby's born, you know, at the hospital, maybe left there. If the agency calls, if a mom is in the hospital in labor and was like, I'm not taking this kid home, you know, then they would call us first, um, is what they had said. And then any of their cases, like we had now first right of refusal because we had a disruption. So we would, we were supposed to be the ones to get the case first. And what, if we said yes, they would show our stuff. If we said no, then they would send it on to other families with their agency or to the consultancy or whatever. But they only had like maybe one, um, mom a month that they were working with. And everyone was exactly the same. It was, it was, very clear that it appeared that they were preying on women on the street because every case was exactly the same. A woman that was homeless, multiple partners, multiple drug use, um, and like finding them and saying, Hey, do you want a home? Do you want food? Like sign here on the line to place your baby with the family and we will put you up with food and housing and, and whatever else because every single story was exactly the same, but then we weren't being notified about this. Like we would literally get an email from the consulting agency, um, from, from the consultants, like on behalf of our agency. And it went out to everyone. It wasn't just to us. And so I reached out to the agency and I'm like, Hey, I thought we had first right of refusal on these, you know, like you guys are, are sitting on our money. And so at that time we had actually decided like we weren't seeing any cases through this agency. So we went back to the consultancy and we said, Hey, like our budget's a lot lower now because we're basically half more than half of it's gone. Um, so we want to be on your books. And then same thing. We didn't have enough. There were like several families. They have an Instagram page and Facebook, like this family's matched, that family's matched. And there were seven matches in like a week or 10 days. And we had seen like one case and I'm like, how are all these families matched? Like you're not even sending out cases. And so our consultant was like, oh, it's your budget. They're out of your budget. And I'm being respectful of the budget that you guys have set. And so she basically just wasn't sending us information. So we had to increase our budget with them in order to even see cases. Meanwhile, this agency is sending cases to the consultancy to send out nationwide. My goodness. And so it was, it was a mess. Um, so we're back to presenting with the agency. We're going or to the consultancy. We're going back and forth with this agency. We did the math and we had paid every single person on staff in their agency, like a dollar or two more than minimum wage for the entire three months that we were matched with this mom outside of paying all a hundred percent of her living expenses, food, clothing, like car insurance, even cell phone bill, internet, all of this stuff for the full three months. And it was just like, like, we're not rich. Like we don't just have all this money sitting aside. Like this is affecting our ability to see this through. Um, and the agency was like, you sign on the line, you sign on the contract. And, and so we, we thought about, we actually reached out to an attorney in Florida to see if he could find anywhere where they were in violation of their contract, because we really felt like they were right. Some of the concerns that the mom had with them was that we couldn't afford to support this child. And it's like, you have in like verification 
of income and employment. You have the past multiple years of tax returns. You have our family budget, our home study. Like you could have Everything. shown up and like counseled her and been like, and settled these fears for her, not forced her, you know, yeah. to stick with us. But it was just like, nope, she called, she called on Saturday, canceled our video chat, called them. I want to see new families. And they just showed up. Like there was no advocacy or social work or anything done on behalf of us. And it's like, what do you pay an agency $25,000 for at least to do their job? Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. No, that is so frustrating. Cause of course, you know, just adoption in itself is overwhelming. There's so many things to it. So many paper. I mean, just looking at all the paperwork that Kat did, cause I'm yes. preparing it to that. Cause that's the only thing I could, I've like seen firsthand. I'm like, oh my gosh, just the paperwork alone, the deadlines, the home study, and then add the financial side of it. And then this, wow, Sasha, that's yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff right there. Yeah. Goodness. So they'll say statistics will say nationwide. I think that there's like a 12% disruption rate where the mom changes her mind or chooses to parent. But this consultancy said there's as much lower about 8%, which I think is all completely bogus. I think nationwide it's higher. And I think with that consultancy, it's even higher because what I've seen, not just with that agency, but multiple other agencies that they work with is like, same thing with, with this agency and like arguing whether they did the social work that they were being paid for was like, where did you actually confirm that this mom wanted to place her child? And like, I could go into so many details about the story, but it was red flag after red flag. We didn't realize at the time, you know, cause emotions are high and all of this stuff, but looking back, you know, and reading about different stuff, trauma wise and, and adoption wise is like, it was red flag after red flag after red flag. This mom did not have any desire or intention to place her child with another family. She was in a very difficult situation. She was facing DUI charges. She was in a domestic violence situation. There were so many reasons she had to find a way out of the situation that she was in. Yeah. And it was actually her probation officer told her, gave her the phone number for the agency and told her, it's going to look really great to the judge if you're making this plan for your child. And like she, the mom told us that verbatim. And so looking back in the end, she did not end up placing her child with anyone. She picked a different family, decided not to go with them, moved to a different agency, decided not to go with them. And in the end is parenting her child. And so we still pray for them regularly, um, you know, and pray over her situation because that has to be so hard. But like, I have a heart, like, let's support these women and give them what they need without trying to force them to place their children with another family. Yeah. Um, so we went, we were back with the consultancy. The agency was being stubborn. The consultancy reached out and said, Hey, you've been matched. And we're like, what? So we've, we've had quick matches over and over and over again. The first one was in like 28 days of going actively presenting. Um, after we went back to the consultancy and sorted out our budget and everything like that, again, within like 30 days, we were matched. Um, but we didn't, the agency didn't tell us this time we were matched with identical twin boys in Arizona through an agency there. <laughs> and oh my they were due in like 30 days from when we were matched. Like, and hey, so it was like, by the way, you got to get everything ready because you're yeah. talking twins. Yes. And so I had just accepted a promotion at work, um, had to call and turn that down be like, actually, I can't take this promotion and I have to give you my two weeks notice because I'm going to be parenting twins in a month. Um, and so totally crazy season. Um, I stayed home for like a week after I had left work to just like tie up some loose ends. And then, um, my husband left for a, a week or two week long work training. So he was, I went and went and met him about halfway through, mm. you know, he took a suitcase of baby clothes in a car seat. I took a suitcase of baby clothes in a car seat. We're in Tennessee for his work training. We're flying to Arizona the next day um, because the, the twins are going to be due anytime. And we're told to go home that the dad's not wanting to sign the paperwork. And so it was through this process, again, totally crazy scenario that I don't even pretend to understand. But part of the contract that we signed said we had to have a conversation video chat with the mom prior to like labor and delivery and placement and everything. And it was like every three days I'm following up with the social worker at the agency. Like, when do we get to talk to her? When do we get to talk to her? Like my husband and I are working as much overtime as possible, separate shifts. Yeah. So like we had hardly ever, it's like 
you know, we need to, if we have to take time off of work, you know, we just need to yeah, know, let's get this scheduled. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, um, we still to this day have never had a conversation with the mom, like never exchanged an email, anything like that. Found out through the social worker at the agency that we were, um, an agency pick is what they called us. So mom and dad were both incarcerated. The director of our consultancy and the director of the agency picked us to be the parents of those boys. Like the mom didn't see our profile book and choose us or anything like that. I did they said they took her our profile it, book. Say that again. I didn't even know that could be a thing that they, the agency then just chose. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. It's a crazy industry. I'm telling you, like we learned everything the hard way. And what I think is so hard because like, for instance, for me, and I'm sure for you as well, like you don't know what you don't know. So like you are giving these people an absurd amount of money and you are obviously trusting them because this is their job. So yeah, you're going to trust that. I mean, these are children's lives. This is not just like anything, you know? So yep. you're trusting them full heartedly saying like, okay, I'm giving you my money. This is what we want our family. And then, oh my goodness. And not to, I'm hoping this doesn't scare people away from adopting, but that, is, I mean, this is just good information and good red flags to even just know of, because like I said, I wouldn't have known any better. Like I wouldn't know what to look out for. Yeah, me either. I have no idea that this is what it was like. And so I will encourage you like adoption, like don't let this make you like not go into it. Like if you truly feel like you want to adopt, like you have a desire to parent and you want to make yourself available to women in crisis who truly do want to place their children, like just ask, ask really good questions. There's tons of resources on Instagram. Um, uh, Kelsey Vandervliet, she's from another mother and, um, Ashley Mitchell, she's big, tough girl. Those are their Instagram handles adopt. Well, those are all really good resources on Instagram that will like, and they have other resources to other people will help you ask those powerful questions to your agency to know, you know, whether do they do self matches, what counseling and care do they provide for mothers? What do their expenses and fees actually go to? And yeah. like, what steps do they have where they're counseling a mother and making sure she's making this decision from a sound mind and not out of a place of crisis and things like that. So that's my biggest thing that I would take away that I would say for adoptive, hopeful adoptive parents is to make sure you're asking those powerful questions because in the beginning, in this process, we do have the control and in what industry we're supporting is where we're giving our money to. Mm -hmm. And if we keep giving our money to these agencies that just say all these nice, pretty things and are preying on women in crisis, like we're not helping our country and our society as a whole, because you will find, if you dig, you will find a lot of women who place their children out of coercion, out of like necessity almost to get themselves out of a bad situation. And it shouldn't be like that. There's a, an article that I read a few um, goodness, maybe a year ago or six months ago about this woman who went through the adoption process because she was like in crisis and it came down to like, she gave birth or was really close to giving birth. And the agency literally like made, made her feel and, and like through their language and everything like that. Right. It wasn't like hypothetical, but like this family has paid for $5,000 of your living expenses all these months. Like you're going to have to pay that back if you want to keep your child. And it's like, this woman was literally made to feel like she needs to now pay $5,000 to keep the child that's in her womb. And that is not okay. I don't care who you are. Like, yeah. and so just make sure you do your research, ask powerful questions, lean in, reach out to people like myself or, or to cat or people who have been through the adoption process, Absolutely. um, and hear their stories, that's ask okay. questions. Yeah. I mean, Hey, Knowledge is power. So I think that's awesome, especially nowadays with social media being, you know, so prevalent and everyone is on and sharing all the things that, yes. I mean, the information is right there for us to, to be able to have. So that's awesome. It's so incredible that you like have gone through all of this through your whole journey. I mean, there's, that's a long, long time to go through it. Okay. Yes. So you had obviously the two scenarios that did not go your way. And then yep. do you have a child, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so 
share the, you know, the exciting part of through adoption where you got, it's your son, right? Yes. Yeah. So after that disruption with the twins, that was like, again, one of the darkest months of my life because that agency really drug their feet in terms of like, okay, so what money do we have left? It wasn't like instantly, here's a record of accounting. It was like a month for them to figure out how much of our money that they spent, you know, and then same thing, a huge portion of that non-refundable. So we were stuck going through them. There wasn't even an option to go back. We had already taken out adoption loans and all of this stuff because we like the babies were, were set to be delivered the next day. Yeah. Like we had to. And so, um, it was, it was a very dark time. Crazy enough. I do want to say the twins were born the same day as the first match, which is so weird. Isn't it? Like, that's a weird. That is weird. So yeah, that's always a tough day on the calendar. Like it's always a, a funky week for us. And it's just like, what is going on? And then we look at the count and we're like, oh yeah, that's like, why. Yeah, so that's, for the last, like that, that's a weird coincidence. That really is. Yes. Huh? Yeah. So, so we didn't have the option to go back with the consultancy. We're kind of stuck with this one agency. They were sending us cases, but we couldn't say yes, because we're like, do we have $20,000 left? Like we, we can't make up the difference of $25,000, like to say yes to this case. So it came back. They'd only spent $4,000 of our money on legal paperwork and all of this stuff, only 4,000 in less than 30 days on basically nothing. Um, I don't even think the dad ever saw our profile book. And so in the end he refused to sign, but both parents were incarcerated. We paid $44,000, hired this agency, and these boys were discharged to foster care. And then even their grandmother was there in the hospital wanting to adopt and the agency provided no assistance for that, which is like, it's just tragic all around when you look at it. Um, so anyways, we are, we're sitting there. We can't say yes to a case cause we don't know. We found out, okay, we still have like $40,000 in a bank with this agency in Arizona. And so again, my husband's on this, has this work training coming up. And so we flew out of the state the same day that my parents did. And, and it was our last day together. We're out canoeing on the, on the lake and whatever else, having a good time with my parents. And, um, I was reading the case that came through and it's like, okay, you know, we can come up with $4,000. Like we have enough money to, to make up the difference for this or whatever else, or can find out how. So I guess, yeah, I guess we can say yes to this. And, and so we, the next day we fly out, we get to, we're in New York city, like standing in front of Rockefeller center <laughs> and we go into the Lego store and I get a phone call and I looked down and it was an Arizona area code. Like I looked on my watch and I was like, Robbie. And he was like, what? And he looked at me and he saw my face. And he was like, no, not again. <laughs> yeah, here we go again. So this, yeah, we were leaving for this work trip. And I was like, it feels weird going without these car seats and clothes. Like, and my husband's like, we are not lugging baby clothes and car seats across the country. For, he's like, we don't even have a match. Like, no, this is not happening. Yeah. So we're not even on the East Coast for 24 hours. And we get a phone call. The first family that we had said yes to picked us. He wasn't supposed to be due for two more weeks, but, oh. but she was having high blood pressure. So they were going to take him in a week. So he, we just got there. Hasn't even started this two week long work training and we need to be in Arizona in a week with no baby stuff. And we're like, what? Oh. So totally crazy scenario. His work like worked with him so well. They're like, do one week of training. Now you can come back and do another week of training later. Yeah. Um, he has, my husband's from, um, Connecticut. And so we drove up to Rhode Island and Connecticut and like visited his family and his cousin and aunt, like gave us a car seat and gave us a baby swing and all these receiving blankets and even diapers that she didn't like. Cause her son had like, I think just turned one. Um, and so we have just like this duct tape box. That's like one of our luggage yeah. as we fly from Boston to Las Vegas and drive down. And, um, according to the paperwork, like the agency was going to be present at the hospital. They would call us when we can come and meet him or, or take when it was time to take him home or whatever else. And so we had met, um, birth parents the night that we got in, we went out to a nice dinner and we just hit it off. Like we had been best friends for life. Like it was crazy, both birth mom and birth dad. Um, it was super fun. We go our separate ways. They go down to the hospital the next morning for her to be induced. And we get a call from dad and he's like, um, you know, she's induced. They broke her water. Like, where are you? And we're like, what you want us there? 
Oh, and they were like, yeah. And we're like, okay, you know, according to all the paperwork we signed, like we didn't think yeah. this was a thing. And so we go there and we got to be there with them the whole time in the same room as labor and oh, delivery. Like felt, that's amazing. So many sweet moments. Um, all four of us as parents, I would say even my son too, um, got to pick his name together. And it was like just a like really heard of that is incredible. Yeah. So we were like, in terms of this totally spoiled with like, with our first and adoption experience from yes. what started. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So it was incredible. And even like, so we left the hospital and I think he was like a week old. We were still waiting on ICPC. And so we went and visited them and like, we're playing Mario Kart, just hanging out with them, you know, all four of us as a family. And it was really beautiful. We flew back to Alaska. We've gone down to Arizona to visit them since. We Love video that. chat with them. We play Mario Kart online with them because it's oh, like our little bonding so thing. Our son fully, loves Mario it's a, Kart. It's a fully open adoption then? Yeah. That's, yep. That's incredible. Yeah. So wow. like they're on our Facebooks and we get to, they get to see all the pictures and yeah. we send them updates and letters and, um, you know, little care packages from time to time. And, um, we just love them. It's super great. Like I would say that's the most difficult part is they live in Arizona and we're all the way here in Alaska. So, um, you know, multiple times a year, I'm like, I just want to go see them, you know, and I want them to be able to see him because I see so much of each of them in him. And I'm just like, he's so cool. Like, this is yeah. so awesome. Like he's yeah. the greatest kid. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been beautiful. Um, and so we knew that we wanted a larger family. We know that we wanted to, you know, have more kids and, and allow him to have the blessing of siblings. My husband was an only child. Um, and so he's like, I had a lot of imaginary friends. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Um, I had multiple siblings that we didn't get along, but I still see, you know, that there's a blessing in having siblings and we want a larger family. So it was actually a year and a half ago we started the adoption process again. The director of Catholic Social Services Infant Adoption Program here in Alaska has since started, partnered with an old colleague and started Alaska Adoption Services. So they're currently the only agency here, um, but they're a nonprofit. They do things totally differently. They, they provide care and assistance and counseling and all this to mothers. They don't let them match with the family until late in the process. So they know that, you know, this is what they actually want. They've given them plenty of opportunity to choose other means than adoption. And, um, and they just care for moms really well. And I really appreciate they care for our community. Well, I love that. and, um, and so it's really cool. So we're in the process We're we're on their website. We're awaiting family with them right now. We actually got a call last week about a little boy. Um, so it, like uh, maybe it was a difficult day for the mom and she thought that this was you know, kind of her only option thing. Um, but as soon as we had said, yes, they haven't heard from her since. And so I'm just praying for empowerment for her, for support, for any of those missing links, you know, that she feels like she's not able to parent to be, to be filled. And if, if adoption is really a choice for her, that she knows that she can still come for birthday parties and like totally have a relationship with her kid, because that's who we are. And, and yeah. I will say, People are like, wow, that's so great of you. We weren't when we started the adoption process. We were not open to open relationships. We were like, what? Yeah. I don't want another person trying to parent with me. Um, but through our education and, and understanding and everything, it's, it's so good for the kids to know where they came from. Even if it's not a beautiful, you know, butterflies and rainbow situation, to know where they came from, to know who their biological ties are to and their culture and have connection to that. And it doesn't mean the other person's, you know, choosing, you know, making medical decisions or educational decisions or discipline, you know, for your children. It's just allowing all of them to have a relationship. And so it can be a very, a very beautiful okay, thing. That. No. And for us, our adoption is open as well. And so, which is really cool because he, so my son has um, he has twin sisters and has an older sister. And so we all are in a Facebook group together um, and we share update pictures all the time. We're going to meet once a year. Um, we send birthday gifts, Christmas gifts. And so it's really cool just to be able to still have them. I mean, they're all young right now. Um, and like my son is only four months old. So I know it's wow. going to, it's exciting just the future of, you know, the siblings getting to grow up together. Um, and so it's just, it's really cool. And so I totally relate to that. I think it's going to be an awesome thing for them to be able to know each other, grow up as siblings. And we live in different States. 
Um, but I think it's going to be really fun to do. So, yeah, that's incredible. I love that. I'm going to have to dig, dig more into your guys's podcast and learn more about embryo adoption because yeah. that is so exciting to me and that you can have open adoption mm-hmm. even in that. Yep. I know it's that's really cool. cool. We really wanted, especially, um, so my son is, um, half white and half Korean. And so we wanted him to also know like this Korean culture as well. And so I think it's just, it's really going to be so much fun and cool just for him to know where he comes from and to just see other, you know, kids that look like him as well, because my husband and I are both, yeah. uh, both, both Caucasian. So for him to see, you know, that as well, I'm really excited, but yeah, well, thank you, Sasha. This was amazing. I'm so like thankful that you from Alaska too. So cool. Um, <laughs> that you just even took the time to be with us today and Kat wishes she could be here, especially talking all adoption. That's totally right up her alley. So I know she's excited to uh, just listen to the episode and everything, but we really appreciate everything. And we're praying for you on this journey now as you're walking uh, just with your second adoption and everything. And we wish you the best of luck. Is there any last last thing that you would like to kind of tell our audience? We always kind of end it with with any, I know you gave us some things for them to look at for like red flags and stuff, but is there any last minute things you wanted to tell our audience? Um, I would say lean into the adoption education. Like I said, um, Instagram is an amazing place to do. So I think I actually found you guys on Instagram. So, um, lean into adoption education, adoption learning partners is a really great website. You might have a local resource center for families that will teach about adoption education and, you know, explore some of this open adoption, how it's good for children, ask those powerful questions to agencies and, um, really work through your own stuff. Because I'll tell you, I'm a mother to a two and a half year old son. Sometimes I forget he's even adopted because he's so much like me and so much like my husband. Um, but he's also so much like his birth parents too. And, um, that has in no way, shape or form changed the desire in my heart to meet my biological children. And so make sure that you've taken time, maybe not a whole decade or more, but take the time to allow yourself to grieve through that process, through your infertility. um, If you are struggling with that before um, jumping forward, because as I'm a mom, like you had said, um, you know, on the Instagram post, intentional living and mindset coach for moms, I know how much our mindset and our own struggles and our own trauma and grief can have such an impact on our children. Um, and so make sure you work through that, make sure you lean into the adoption education. And, um, I think with that stuff, adoption can be very beautiful. There is trauma of course, like, but, but it can be a very beautiful thing to have your child know that they're adopted, know where they came from, know that they have even more people. Like my husband had said with this mom who reached out the other week, um, I said, man, he just looks to be so loved by the people in his family. Like, I feel bad taking him away from that. And my husband reminded me, we're not taking him away from anything and she's not giving up on him. It's both of our families coming together and us even getting to learn about their culture and like them getting to be a part of ours and, and just a blended family in a different way. And it can be a very beautiful thing if you make space and allow it and just, um, allow things to be real. Yeah. So Love it. Well, thank you. And is, is it okay if we were to, um, in our show notes, just kind of tag your Instagram. I want to make sure that everyone is able to look at your stuff that you offer and just be able to listen to your podcast as well then. Um, and just be able to use you as a resource. Well, thank you, Sasha. I love it. Thank you so much. Amanda.